Hello and welcome to the third ever episode of the Quacked Out Podcast with Charlie Folkstead and Reed Tingley and producer Paul. Today we're going to be going through a roster breakdown of both the offensive and defensive outlooks for the 2020 football season. Yeah. In hopes that there is a 2020 football season. Yes, <laughs> we got the news earlier today that the Big Ten will not be playing out-of-conference games, and who knows what the domino effect will be, but we're not going to get into all that speculation. We're just going to assume that some form of football will be played at some point in this upcoming school year, and so we'll probably go a few guys deep on uh, each roster spot, at least. So without further ado, I think we can just jump into it. If you're ready to go. Yeah, sounds Let's good to go. me. All right, first off, we've got quarterback. Obviously, the buzz here is Tyler Shuck's been around the program now for two years. Um, a lot of people are feeling like he's the presumptive starter. I think Cristobal has even said he is yeah. the starter, at least going into spring um, and now probably going into fall camp. But then we've also got Anthony Brown coming in from Boston College. And then a few young guys, uh, Kale Millen, who was around the program last year, but didn't really get many snaps, any snaps, I don't think. Uh, And then Butterfield and Ashford, the two true freshmen. Yeah, the word, two two thoughts on basically Shuck versus Brown, because essentially this is what the battle is going to be, right? Yeah. Brown, the grad transfer coming in. The, the word that comes to mind with Shuck is incumbent. A lot of people have been using that word. Like, it's his spot to lose, basically. Right. That being said, we shouldn't necessarily be rooting for or against certain guys, I don't think, personally. Because in the end, I, that's the coach's decisions, and whoever they choose is who I'm going to trust most. But the other word I want to talk about is insurance. I think it was Tyson Alger mentioned this uh, a little bit ago. Um, but Anthony Brown is basically insurance. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if Tyler doesn't work out, okay, we have a guy with three years of starting experience who's already thrown for over 4,000 yards in a Power 5 conference. At least he's, you know, someone serviceable at the very least. Who knows what, what he can do when right. he's on. But for me, I think uh, obviously it's good to have – you know, that insurance, those multiple choices when it comes to quarterback, when you have a guy, um, when you have uh, two two guys really here um, who are both worthy of starting in the Pac-12, right? Yeah. Um, and so I heard, I've heard the word incumbent thrown around a lot, but uh, I think kind of something you were getting at there is like, we're not, he shouldn't be handed the job because he's been waiting. We yeah. should be giving the QB one spot to the guy who's going to give us the best shot of winning. But again, there is that um, you know that football saying in the QB room, if you have two QBs, you don't have one. So my main concern is coming into the season... <laughs> my, my main concern coming into the season is if there's two guys that are going to be given a shot here, um, we want to have a clear, a clear QB one when, when we come out of camp. Definitely. And I would also stress... Reed, you were getting to this a little bit. I mean, we have more than two guys still. I mean, there's Butterfield, Millen, and Ashford all definitely, I would say, have a solid chance to see playing time this year, especially if one or two of Shuck and Brown go down. So it's going to be a real interesting spot this year. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, Definitely, I mean, 
in the past like decade of college football, there's been a trend towards uh, true freshman QBs actually being able to play and produce. Uh, but I do think it's definitely complicated a bit by the uh, limited, very limited spring practice we had mm-hmm. and the installation of a new offense also under Joe Moorhead is going to throw in a different wrinkle to this. And there's a bit of a difference between Shuck and Brown in their play style. Uh, Brown gives a bit more of a dual threat look. Uh, and so it will, in some ways, I think, come down to whether Moorhead thinks that's something that we need to utilize in our offense. And I've heard that we are uh, likely going to be running the ball uh, with the quarterback more than we have in the past, mm-hmm. probably like five to ten times a game. Um, so Brown is probably going to be plus in that category over Shuck. But I think that uh, a lot of people around the program have been pretty comfortable with Shuck taking over after Herbert. And so I would give the edge to him right now. Yeah. I mean, with regards to Moorhead's offense, I think that he had an interview. I it, I don't remember exactly where it was. I think it was Mosley um, yeah. on the Godex YouTube channel doing a happy hour or something. Or Moorhead was talking about what he's going to bring to the offense. And it's honestly going to look like a lot of it's going to look the same, at least to the casual eye. Um but Moorhead will be throwing in a lot more RPOs mm-hmm. and those type of decision-making things really come down. Like that's not something you can predict from a quarterback. Yeah. What decisions they're going to make in the game, even if they do different things in practice. Like for example, we've heard Chuck was really good at the end of practices toward last year. Um, like we, we just don't know what that's going to look like on the field. So again, I trust the coaches to make that right decision. That's not really up to us at all. I have a question for you guys about uh, Joe Moorhead here. I know we're talking about position players, but based on um, what you saw out of Mississippi State in 2018-2019 of their offense, is there uh, anything you're looking forward to seeing, anything that you're worried about? Not really worried about as much as – like my, my main concern with the offense is this position, like how quarterback develops. And I would say a little bit offensive line, but we'll get to that. My concern isn't as much with what we're running as much as how we're executing it this year. I would say that's not always the case. I mean, look at last year. We definitely had the personnel last year, and our play calling was what was catching a lot of flack. So, I mean, Moorhead's a smart guy. He's not going to try to do too much and overwhelm these guys in in his first season, especially with a new quarterback coming in. Yeah, I think some people... um are a little down on Moorhead nationally, maybe, after, uh, I mean, what you'd probably have to describe as an unsuccessful stint at Mississippi State overall. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but, um, you know, he wasn't really able to become relevant in the SEC or certainly nationally. Um, but if you go back to when he was coming out of Penn State like two, three years ago, he was basically one of the hottest offensive minds in all of college football. And so I think there's differences in what you need from a head coach versus a coordinator. And I think that Moorhead has a great football mind. I think that maybe he just struggled at some of the program CEO aspects of being a head coach. And those are things that Cristobal really excels at. So I think this is a perfect situation for Moorhead to do well. And I expect our offense... um, to be 
very successful this season, honestly. As long as the quarterback position yeah. works out. Yeah. Obviously. We've seen in the past how even if the rest of your offense is looking good, the, uh, the quarterback really does matter. Yeah, definitely. A lot. <laughs> All okay. right. Can I argue running back one. time? Yeah, running back time sounds good. Okay. We know the story here. It's been the same for like a whole year or two now. Verdell Dye and Habibi Lico were all basically starters. Like yeah. when Cristobal when Cristobal puts out his own depth chart, he just puts oars in between them. Right. They're all basically starters. Um, but my question to you then is who do you think who do you like best in the backfield, basically? Well, I feel like um I don't know, this is a tough position. I I am a fan of having a feature back and maybe an off pace guy um to mix it up every once in a while but i think we're a little overcrowded in the running back room with guys who are really good but maybe not great um and so i mean my favorite is gonna have to be verdell i think he's the best back we have most versatile back we have but he's struggled with injuries a bit um, he's a good downhill runner. He runs hard, but sometimes he doesn't have the best vision, I would say. Uh, I think Die is a good role player. I don't really think he's a he's a feature back, if I'm being brutally honest, at the Power 5 level. Get some gloves on that kid. Habibi <laughs> <laughs> um, Likio is a great goal line back, a great uh presence in the room i think and you know he like really carried the load against uw this year i mean i love i love all these guys but i don't think habibi likio can totally do it all necessarily either um so it's just it's just tough i think but i think that three-headed monster gets the job done at the end of the day right and in in football nowadays it's it's not like those uh you know, Barry Sanders days where they're going to hand the ball off three times to the same guy and yeah. he's going to rush for 2,000 yards. It's really advantageous to have running backs of, you know, at a, who can perform at a, high, at a high level and spell each other. And maybe one of them does go down. We hope not, but maybe one of them does. And then we've got two very capable other guys to step up into that role and to get those, get just pick up, pick up those, uh, you know, what, 120 combined yards over the ground that we need. Yeah, definitely. So, again, we kind of know the story with those three. I want to talk about some guys maybe a little deeper down. Specifically, Sean Dollars. Name we've been hearing for a couple years now. He had that one play against Nevada where he probably should have scored. He probably mm-hmm. thinks about that a little too much. But um, <laughs> I know I would personally. Yeah. Um, but who else do you think has a shot to see some serious playing time this season? Say say one or two of the, our starters go down and Mario still wants to do it by committee. Who do you see stepping up out of that kind of second tier of maybe like Dollars, Wilson, and Benson? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, Dollars is, is was a top guy out of uh, high school, and he went to Modern Day uh, right outside of L.A., which is like probably the top high school program in the entire country. So he's the type of guy you'd expect to come in and uh, play pretty quickly. I think he's got the playmaking abilities to do that. Um, And I think he probably, I mean, honestly, I think that 
trio of junior running backs. Uh, like I said, they get the job done, but I think the guys behind them might have higher upsides, uh, especially dollars. And then I, I also really, really like uh, Trey Benson, the true freshman. Um, I think he's he's a big back, but he runs hard. He can do it all. I mean, his highlights, uh, if you look at his highlights from his senior year, it's incredibly impressive. He's not doing against top, top competition, um, but he just, you know, jumps off the tape in every way that you'd want to see, basically. So I think he could be a great back down the road. And I'm really optimistic. I mean, obviously, um, the Ducks also have seven. McGee is a long-time commit that's uh, will be and isn't going to be on the team this fall, but will be uh, here for the 2021 season. And he's a guy who could be a feature back down the road, an All-American type of back that Oregon hasn't really had since, like, Royce Freeman left, probably. Hmm. When I think of McGee, I think of more like DeAnthony, where it's just yeah. straight speed. And I'm sure that's who he... I'm pretty sure he said it, too. He, he likes to model this game or think of himself in the same breath as DeAnthony. But he's been committed for, like, what, two years now? He's yeah. Been, I've been hearing his name for a long time, but I think, didn't he have to sit out last season or something and call it in high school? Yeah. He's been transferring around a bunch. He's like gone back and forth from New York to California, like oh, okay. three or four times now, um, which is just a weird scenario. And it's made him fall in the rankings a bit, but I mean, when he's on the field and if he gets to Oregon, he's one of the 50 best players in the country, probably. Ooh. And the, I mean, that's what I don't think he runs like Roy Freeman, do, Roy Freeman does, but I think that he can be that type of have that type of production in college. Mm -hmm. He's that good, even if it's uh, albeit a different style of back. Right. Nice. All right. On to wideout. Yep. Okay, we know, again, we kind of know the story here, but there's a couple things that are going to be... Still up in the air. Yeah, going to be interesting to see how they play out. So, first of all, we know Johnny Johnson's going to be starting, right? We can mm -hmm. kind of assume that by now. Mm -hmm. He's going to be one of the guys out, out wide um, come, well, maybe fall. Hopefully, Hopefully fall. Hopefully fall. <laughs> um, but who do you see at that other wide spot? Do you think it's... Do you think... Uh, Addison gets his sort of, I don't know what you would call it. Uh, he's kind Breakout of breakout season. Yeah, in terms as of playing a time. true starter. Yeah, or do you see Devin Williams coming in and sort of taking over that spot? I'm I'm all on board, fully on board the Devin Williams train. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just he's such a talented wideout uh, and a. He's like no one else on our roster, really. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, Johnny Johnson is, is a great player and a super hard worker. And obviously, I mean, the progression from uh, 2018 to 2019 from Johnny Johnson was incredible. But I don't think we have a wide receiver with the type of upside that Devin Williams has. I mean, out of high school, he was someone who people thought would be a first-round draft pick mm -hmm. at wide receiver. So... I would, yeah, If I mean, that's what I'm hoping for. I don't think Brian Addison at his best, I don't think anyone on the roster at their best can match what a really uh, productive Devin Williams would be. 
And then my other question to you, I think I know the answer to this one too, but I'm going to ask it. Who starts at slot? Red or Pittman? Uh, well, I, I think, I think Red will probably be the starter, mm-hmm. but Pittman's going to play a lot. Yeah, I hope so. I, I mean, I think it'll be basically 50, 50. I, I don't see how you can keep Micah Pittman off the field. Yeah. But you could say the same thing about Red. Right. Yeah, absolutely. How many yeah. touchdowns did he have in a row last year? Like right. six or seven? I mean, it was insane. No, and it, it seemed like whenever he needed to be open, he just run, he just runs such precise, just just routes just getting uh, right off that pickup linebacker or that extra corner that they're throwing in, and he just knows where to be to get the ball. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it pays off to be short. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, he's been a great presence ever since he came in. Him and Red and Johnson both kind of had to carry the load early in their careers when, mm-hmm. to be honest, they probably shouldn't have been playing. Yeah. If, it's, if, we are, if we were a really healthy Power 5 program or trying to contend for a national championship, at that point, they probably wouldn't be playing so early in their careers. And so they've both taken that in stride, and now they're so seasoned. Yeah, exactly. Think, now we're seeing the benefits of that. Yeah, exactly. I also like uh, Josh Delgado as a guy who's going to be a really good role player. Definitely. Um, we saw him make some good catches last year, but hopefully yeah. he gets more touches. Yeah. And other than that, I think, uh, I mean, David Davis is a good athlete. He can fill in here and there. Um, and then J.R. Waters and Lance Wilhoyt, both redshirt freshmen that, uh, because of injuries and you know, kind of clogged up playing time, didn't get much of an opportunity last year. But I think they're both guys that could break out and um, take advantage of some potential playing time in the rotation. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Will Hoyt. I, he's a guy who, again, very highly regarded recruit. We've been waiting to see him for a while now. For a lot of people, he probably kind of faded into the back of their minds or out completely. But, I mean, these guys are all ballers. Like, they're here. There's If a good player isn't making it onto the field, that's a good thing because it means other good players are in your program. Right. Yeah. So that, and that kind of depth is what it's going to take to elevate the program, really. Yeah, I mean, that's how good programs work is that they get a bunch of really good uh, players in there, and then it's just a competition for who works hardest. Yeah, who exactly. Wants it more, yeah, you don't just set up one guy that you like and say, "Here's the starting job," right? And then you have no other options behind them. And I think that's what we're transitioning into as a program. So I think ultimately the question with guys like Will Hoyt and Waters is: Are they going to be players who? have long careers at Oregon or are they going to be guys who maybe uh, transfer out after a few years? And obviously the elephant in the room really is that uh, both those guys, you know, after not getting a chance to show themselves in their freshman season are now going to be competing against a really talented wide receiver group that's coming in in 2021 headlined by Troy Franklin, and then there's also Kyron Ware-Hudson, Isaiah Brevard, and uh, very possibly Dante Thornton. Um, so it's just it's going to be a battle for playing time in the wide receiver room, and that um, could come at the detriment of guys like Will Hoyt and Waters. But obviously, it's great for us. And similar to the QB room, 
I don't have any, you know, favorites. I hope all these guys uh, have great careers, and I'm rooting for all of them. But, you know, only so many people can get playing time. In the yeah. Game. And again, ultimately, last thing is it's up to them. Like, it's up to how hard they work. It's up to how well they understand the playbook and do things like that. So, absolutely, yeah, it's up to them and the coaches. Um, on to tight end, and then we'll do O-line. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so tight end, obviously it was Breland's spot last year before he went down midway through. Now we have sort of like running back where we kind of have like three guys basically who could stake a claim to that starting spot. But it's pretty up in the air. And obviously it's easier to play three different running backs than it is to have three different tight ends all the time. Yeah. So who do you think comes out sort of as the guy to beat from Camp Moyer, Webb, and McCormick? Well, I think, I mean, it's it's McCormick for me if we're talking about the most talented guy when healthy. But when you say when healthy with Cam McCormick, there's you know like, yeah. no bigger question mark really, <laughs> right. which sucks uh, for him and and for all of us Ducks fans who want to watch him. Um, but he was a guy who uh, was on pace to beat Breland out for the starting job going into last season. Yeah, which I mean, we you know we didn't really know what we had at tight end going into last season, so that didn't feel that impressive maybe in spring and fall camp. But then seeing how amazing Breland was to start the year, it was like, well, if McCormick is better than that, then McCormick is like an All-American, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Breland was basically Herbert's like favorite most, target. Yeah, most yeah. consistent favorite target for as long as he was healthy, really. Yeah, right. But so. will there be the same role for the tight end in a new offense with a new quarterback? Right. I mean, maybe it was a situation where that was just something, a ball Herbert was comfortable throwing and a play call that he liked from Arroyo. And maybe Shuck or um, Brown will have a different relationship with Moorhead. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. With tight ends, a lot of it is about just chemistry between quarterback and tight end. And also um, blocking, because half your job as a tight end is to block. So right. a guy like Spencer Webb, Great receiver. We saw him, you know, have a couple really important catches for the Ducks last year, notably against Auburn and UW. But if you can't block, you know, get the rock, right? Right. Yeah. And yeah. here's another question that I have uh, going into this season, which is kind of a little unique uh, than other years. Um, in other years, like you talked about, um, we have positions being won in camp. And mm-hmm. here especially at the skill position, especially with a new quarterback, new offensive coordinator, how is that decision going to be made when you, the coaching staff just doesn't get to see as much of the guys? And then, not only that, but the quarterback and you know tight end, they don't get to have all that time with each other to put in that chemistry. And so will that favor the guys who have had more playing time in the past? Will that favor the coaches wanting to give the new talented guys um, a shot? Because, uh, you know, there's only so much that you can hope for and only so much that you have already seen. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you hear this phrase a lot in soccer mostly, but play the kids definitely has a role here. Especially if we see some sort of truncated or shortened season. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that really might, you might see coaches across the country 
start gearing towards their younger guys, getting them reps, getting them minutes, just getting them better acquainted with the game in favor of maybe an older senior who it's his last year, you know, you're not going to get much more development out of him. Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously before we, um, you know, these schedule changes were on the horizon, this question had added pressure because we thought we had one of the biggest games in the history of Autzen coming Mm -hmm. up in early September versus Ohio State. And we had to be at our best for that. Um, That's not happening anymore. So I think it, uh, yeah, it does change the dynamics of this year in a lot of ways. It's it's going to be different. And yeah, what you're saying could be totally true that coaches will lean in more to their young guys and use this as just an opportunity to get people some uh, experience for this level of competition. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, the tight end position is one of the hardest in football in that you have to you know, run routes and catch like a receiver and you have to block like a lineman. And Camp Moyer obviously has the blocking part of that pretty down. And Webb seems like he has the pass catching part of that pretty down. I think McCormick is the guy who probably has the best mix of the two, but he has the health concern. So it's up in the air, really. What did you make of, uh, last thing about tight ends, this was... Probably one of the least expected things uh, that we heard in the offseason. But um, DJ Johnson, former D lineman, has moved to tight end. He is now, I think, pretty much the sixth tight end we have in the room. How does that happen? How does that get worked in, do you think? Yeah, this one caught me really off guard. Um, I, yeah, I don't really get it. I think that, I mean, he played tight end in uh, high school, I'm pretty sure. He's a great athlete. Um, but I think that our tight end room is is kind of full enough already in yeah. a lot of ways. And it was especially, I mean, DJ Johnson had one of the weirdest years of anyone on the team last year where it felt like Cristobal kept being asked about him. We kept hearing, like, what a amazing athlete he was on the D-line and then he just never really got much playing time and even when he did get playing time he kind of produced pretty well he had a couple sacks on the year I think so it was just weird that it wasn't really working out for him at D-line and then this offseason we just decided to abort that whole strategy and move him over to tight end and I don't really I mean Maybe I'll be proved wrong, but I don't really see his path to playing time at tight end. Right. It's always an interesting thing when a guy um, moves to the other side of the ball, especially after playing a season um, under a head coach, at, you know, on say on, on the defensive line, then he's going to move over and, yeah, I guess compete for playing time with those, you know, five other guys. And looking at who we have on our defensive line, we're going to get to defense – uh, later, but doesn't it seem to you guys that he would actually have a better path to playing time, like on the defensive front? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like Reed said, he showed a lot of promise uh, in the snaps he did get on the D line. So yeah. I think I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure Cristobal, when he mentioned it, cited it as sort of a personal decision for Johnson. Mm-hmm. I don't know if 
maybe he thought he wasn't going to get Maybe playing time just isn't much of a factor to him. Maybe he just wants to have more fun as a tight end in practice or something. I, <laughs> I seriously don't know like what yeah. what it is. Who knows? Maybe he, maybe we do. Maybe he's good enough where we do see him at tight end on game days. Like we don't know what what he looks like at tight end, right? We haven't seen any anything from him at tight end before. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? I could totally be wrong. And and I mean, as I've said, he's a good enough athlete to do it. Hey, maybe maybe we'll come out in some four tight end sets this this year. Maybe Joe Moore has yeah. just had a had a, a tight end reckoning or something. Maybe. <laughs> no no linemen, just tight ends. Yep. Pro move. Every how many can you have a report eligible? How many linemen can you have report eligible? Well, well <laughs> Penne with that pass to Penne in yeah. the uh, Pac-12 yeah. championship, maybe he swings over to tight end too. Oh, oh yeah. seven okay. tight ends. There we go. Hey, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> seven we, seven we down linemen. Do they're all the, tight ends. We know we can do the yeah. left tackle thing. Yeah. Let's see if he can go wider. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the only way he could improve his draft stock now. Maybe unless he decided to like switch to quarterback. Quarterback or something. <laughs> Maybe I mean, he'll, he'll left tackle down. So Bro, put him at fullback. Give him, give him, hand the ball off to him a couple times. Well, that's what his brother is going to be doing, I guess, for us come twenty twenty. Hey, you know, uh, there's no, no, there's no competition like sibling rivalry. So, fair enough. Okay, on to the offensive line. On to the O line. Yes, this is where it gets pretty hairy. Um, yeah. Obviously, we lost pretty much five guys who could be starting at multiple positions on the line. Uh, yeah. The one left over obviously being Penai. 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 Like the pasta. Okay. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but so Sewell's still there. We know he'll produce. Um, what about the other guys? I mean, who who fills these spots? Yeah. It's, it's a lot of question marks. And as one of my favorite college football guys, Josh Pate, says... Oh. Question marks aren't necessarily uh, weak spots. Mm-hmm. They're just question marks. So, and if anyone can figure it out, it's Mario Cristobal. True. Um, but yeah, guys that I'm looking at, I mean, obviously, Penne's the best, uh, best offensive lineman in the country by a wide margin. Um, no pun intended. Yeah. I think... At the guard spots, I think uh, Molly Sala is a guy that we'll probably see play. I think uh, TJ Bass is probably the favorite for the other guard spot. Uh, Jonathan Dennis had a, gr- had a really good spring, limited spring, but in those uh, few practices, I think he really impressed. I think at the center position, uh, Alex Forsyth, Forsyth is going to probably be the guy there maybe Ryan walk um, and then uh, well obviously I mean I think Stephen Jones uh, I think he'll either play tackle or guard I think he could do either one and he'll probably be our second best offensive line yeah I was gonna say he seems to be the name that you hear the most when you're talking about guys who are like ready to start yeah I, Penne, obviously yeah I mean I think if it wasn't uh, if we didn't have like such a stacked offensive line room last year with upperclassmen and then the best offensive lineman in the country, Stephen Jones probably would have uh, been a starter and performed well in that role. And hopefully he can grow into one of those guys that 
stays for a while, gets acquainted with the line, because he is still a true sophomore, I believe. Redshirt sophomore. Red, oh, yeah. he's a redshirt. Yeah. Okay, well, he's still here. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> and I, I also think worth uh, mentioning is, uh, oh, jeez, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Jonah Tawanu'u. Jonah good. T, we'll call him. Uh, yeah, he's he was a super highly rated guy. I mean, he basically was like rated like Penne was. I don't think we can uh, put the pressure on him to be the same player that Penne is. I don't think anyone's going to be that good. Uh, but I think he's probably capable of starting if we need him to. Right, and he's sitting right now behind Sewell at left tackle, but I think there is a chance that they could move him over to the right side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, yeah, there's not that much to say on O-line. I mean, who knows? Really? Yeah, exactly. It's it's like the other positions, except we have even less information about them. <laughs> exactly. And, and it's not a... Yeah, I mean, at, at running back or wide receiver, it's like you see a guy, even if they're not the starter, get a few snaps that you can like evaluate a bit. But at O-line, a lot of these guys, we just like have barely seen. I think we do have one of the most fun names on the roster at uh, at our left guard. Mala Amuva Am- Amave Lalu. Amave? Amave? Big Sala. Amave Lalu, yeah. Big Sala. <laughs> He's exactly. huge, too. <laughs> He's, He's massive. Yeah. He was in the All-America Bowl, I think, and they showed his... He McDonald's like, All-America. Under under <laughs> who knows? Uh, one of those high school showcase games, and he was like the biggest dude on the field by a mile. Like yeah, but I think with with Penne, Sala, and Stephen Jones, I think are the three right there that will be good. Uh, Solid anchors good to, to that great, line. Yeah, yeah uh, Pac-12 offensive linemen. Yeah, I think that they'll all be plus players for us. Yeah, solid anchors to the line. And then I think at center and probably another guard spotter, maybe it would be a tackle spot if Jonah T steps in there. Um, we have two bigger question marks, uh, but then I'm confident Cristobal can fill. Right. Exactly. Just um, speaking about kind of a game plan kind of thing, obviously um, if we are to play college football games this year, uh Penny Sewell is, is not the underrated offensive lineman that he was last year. Well, you, you could say underrated. He he yeah. did win one of the yeah, okay. He's he is not gonna be disrespected going this into year. Last year, maybe. Right, yeah, going into last year. He's not gonna be disrespected by by any coach, by any defensive coordinator. Um I mean, yeah, he's the most like right. hyped offensive right. lineman and we've so, seen in years, yeah. Right. So I would I can only assume that um, a lot of these defensive coordinators are going to game plan us to run to run through that hole, right? Uh, or to pull him, and they're going to scheme to stop him. And so, do you think that we could see some kind of inventive plays by Moorhead, some sweeps, stuff like that, uh, just to uh, make designed runs that look like they're, you know, um, going through that, that hole, that gap, and maybe going away from it? Yeah, I mean... Panay is amazing for a lot of reasons, but probably the most is the his uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's so dynamic. He he can get out wide, he can yeah. pull, but he can also do his job in the center if you keep him there. So mm-hmm. like that type of 
uh, versatility, that's what I'm looking for. There you go. Yeah. Is really, that enables you to run those type of plays. That yeah. enables you to put things out wide, run lots more RPOs, which, again, we already mentioned, is what Moorhead wants to do a lot more of. That, that kind of experience combined with skill is invaluable to an offensive line, especially one that loses four starters. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the best player in college football. He won the Outland Trophy as a true sophomore. Like, So anytime you have that type of player, it just opens up so many possibilities for what your offense can do because you just have a guy who doesn't lose battles ever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Except when he catches passes. Right, yeah. But yeah, again, it wasn't great blocking because he was catching. So, right, right, right. Right. Yeah. What can you do? All right. Is it time to move on to the defense? Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Let's start in the middle up front. Mm-hmm. Really at all three of these sort of, well, we, you know, Avalos basically runs a base three up front most of the time. Mm-hmm. Three pretty much right in starters there. Um, but the first one in the middle we're going to talk about is Big Jordan. Yeah. Love me some Fat Mac. Love it. Popo and Malve behind him, probably at that second spot. But we saw Scott totally blow up some lines last year. Yeah. Like, just absolutely blow up some plays, especially in short yardage. He's just not a type of player or a type of body you see in the Pac-12. No, he's enormous. Yeah. He's He's one of those guys that you see, you know, sitting on the line for, you know, maybe not on the first string, but... For for a Bama, for a Florida, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember seeing him on the field for the first time on TV, and I was like, we have one of those guys? Like, are you kidding me? He's yeah. massive. So let's just, I mean, all we really need to say about him is keep doing what you're doing. Already Pac-12, all-conference second team or third team, um, depending on who you source that award from. But... We know what we're getting out of him. For the most part, we know what we're getting out of Amave, although he can't. I think he has potential to be as good or even better than Scott if he keeps going at this point. Yeah, yeah, Popo's great. I mean, that is that nose tackle position we've got completely shored up with those two. I feel so confident in both of their abilities. So, yeah. I think we're good there. Um... Okay, out wide on the defensive end spots. Kayvon Thibodeau obviously had a strong, kind of like Brady Breeze, had a very strong end of the season last year. Mm -hmm. We need to see the consistency, though, because although you're consistent in the last few games, you have to make that carry over. But he he was a a freshman. There's a lot of hype coming into him on the season, and, you know, he... I, all you can ask for from a player like that is just to improve, really, show improvement. And I think he did that in every game. I think he got better in every game. And by the end of the season, when the games were pretty important, you know. Yeah, pretty um, important. Pretty important. <laughs> uh, hopefully you do want your games to get more important as you go down the, down the, down the stretch. Right. Um, he didn't shy away from the moment, you know. And I think he, he did show that improvement that you're looking for. Yeah. I mean, he has a lot of hype going into this year. I think he's um, usually on the list, the short list of maybe the five or ten best defensive players in college football. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty crazy for someone who's going to be a true sophomore. Um, But I think 
I think it's he's earned it. I mean, what was it? Nine and a half sacks as a true freshman? I think so. After kind of a slow start, to put those numbers up is crazy. Uh, and I think that, yeah, he's going to have a great sophomore campaign. And the only uh, thing that worries me is, you know, who's behind him, really? We don't have another force that can do the things that he does in terms of an edge rusher. Yeah, I mean, so... Su- I'm going to butcher this. Suava Poti yeah. is listed Close behind him. him. Four-star recruit out of John Bosco. Hard to go wrong there. Yeah. But, again... We're, we're sensing a theme here. The Ducks have depth at pretty much every position. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't always use that depth, obviously Poti's probably going to get playing time. He might not, he's probably, no, he won't play as well as KT, but the development that you get when you have those sort of guys in the room, when he can learn from an Austin value, another senior, Brandon Dorless, your guy, my guy. Kayvon, <laughs> when, when you can sit, stand behind these guys in practice and then go up against them and see what they're doing, like that's such a huge advantage to somebody, to somebody who goes to like a different school and doesn't develop as much, really. I yeah, mean, and, yeah, you might get to see playing time immediately, but you're not going to be as good. And there's also the flip side of that. Not only do you have your peers in your position group who you get to learn from, but I mean these defensive linemen also get to see, oh, this is Penne Sewell, the best offensive lineman in the country. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, iron sharpens iron. I think that certainly helped Kayvon going up against Penne in practice. I mean, I I only wish that I could sit in and watch those battles in practice. Um, But yeah, when you have a great offensive line um, to go up against, that also is going to help you improve your craft. Um, so I kind of briefly mentioned these guys, Dorless and Austin Fallu. Uh, Dorless is a sophomore, Fallu's a senior. He was one of those four guys at the press conference who said he was coming back. They get less hype than uh, maybe Scott or Thibodeau mm-hmm. or even Popo Malve. But those are guys we saw making plays last year. I mean, if you go back and watch tape or just highlights even of those games, you see those guys in the backfield making plays. Like... Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah. And they're, I think, uh, Falu and Dorless are just great at what they do. Um, they're not, I mean, you know, Jordan Scott is obviously the highlight of our run stopping, and Kayvon's the highlight of our pass rush, mm-hmm. pretty clearly. But then Falu and Dorless are just in all the right places, uh, you know busting through blocks and getting there and making, you know, themselves noticed. And that's all you can really ask from them. And I mean, shoot, it's never bad when you're, so talking about value here, you're maybe third or fourth most recognizable offensive lineman or defensive lineman graded a 90.5 on pro football focus. Exactly. That's third best in the Pac-12 as a defensive lineman, number 13 in, in the FBS against the run. Exactly. Yeah, he's crazy, just a, right? He's like, a guy who, <laughs> you know, he doesn't jump off the film maybe when you turn it on, but he's just doing all the right things, and it shows in the way that he grades out. 
Yeah. Um, any more names you want to mention real quick on defensive line? Um, yeah, I think that uh, I think that Keon Ware Hudson and Christian Williams also deserve a mention. They were kind of, I think, in, in spring and fall camp leading into last year, a lot of people talked about kind of this trio of uh, freshmen at the time, which was Dorless, Ware Hudson, and Williams, and how... Uh, they were all slotted to maybe produce, and I think we just saw Dorless get the chunk of that playing time and really excel with it. But I think that uh, Keon Warehudson and Christian Williams are guys who could uh, be very productive in the time they get. And then I'd also say uh, I like Jason Jones a lot as kind of a guy who could be the future after Popo at that nose tackle spot. But I don't think with both Popo and Jordan, he's going to have a ton of playing time probably this first year. All right, on to, well, let's see. Do you want to go stud first or linebacker? It's kind of similar. We can, we can just dig into stud real quick. So this is a tough position, obviously, because the way Avalos runs his defense, it's sort of an in-between position, right? Yeah. You really have to be mentally there to do it. But... From my understanding, this is kind of Mace Funa's spot. Is that right? Yeah, that's my impression too. Funa has been a guy who, I mean, he obviously you're going to get overshadowed by Troy Dye, but there's an argument to be made that he was one of the best for his age, like linebackers in the country. Yeah, absolutely. He was, and, and yeah, to start the year, he was like, even more productive than Kayvon, I would say, off the bat. Obviously, Kayvon mm-hmm. came on late, but, uh, I mean, jumping right off in that Auburn game, Mace Funa was a presence, and it was like, wow, this is a freshman's first game, and he's out on the field at linebacker, and I don't feel bad about it at all. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm super excited for him to just hold down that position um and yeah i mean it's kind of a similar situation to cave on spot where the only thing that makes me worried about stud is who's gonna come in if uh you know mace funa goes down somehow yeah because that is a spot where you're gonna have to work on that in practice like you can't just sub in a linebacker a dn or a nickel or something and just be fine right like you're gonna have to be training and obelis knows this he's he's got he's got it all covered but like you gotta be training multiple guys for that spot at the same time in case what you said does happen yeah yeah but i feel good about it i yeah i think it'll be really i think mace fun is slotted to have a really impressive season if he can't go yeah so now we move to the regular linebackers i think Isaac Slade, Matauti, I'll just call him Isaac Slade, is the most impressive out of this group, personally. Yeah, I would agree agree with that. that, Yeah, Yeah, I think, I mean, he's got the experience. He was a pretty good uh, prospect coming out of high school, and he's lived up to that. Um, He's a four-star guy, yeah. So I think he's, he's our top guy at linebacker you'd have to say and going to be probably that anchor at the middle linebacker spot and a little bit of um a guy who you know 
is kind of diagnosing whatever the offense is doing and bringing along some of the younger guys, um, especially, I mean, obviously the two names here are the five stars, Justin Flo and Noah Sewell, who are guys who don't have any experience at the college level, but exactly. have the highest upside at linebacker of anyone that's ever put on a Ducks uniform. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Slade is a guy who we've seen him do it for two years now, pretty much. 2018, he was having a, he was balling out first half of the season, and then he missed the last six games. Mm-hmm. But, again, we mentioned Troy Dye leaving. He can definitely come and fill that spot. Maybe not to the extent that Dye did, or in the same, like, physical capacity in terms of where he's making plays on the field. Mm-hmm. But... Someone who can disrupt offenses, nonetheless. And he also learned behind uh, behind Dye a little bit, as yeah, Dye was exactly. such a big leader last year. And like Reed said, and you said, he can you know pass on that leadership uh, to Flo and Sewell, hopefully. Yeah, and I mean, get their the, heads in the right spot. Yeah, the thing about Troy Dye too is, I mean, he was just such a great leader in that room. But I think, I mean, there are other guys who physically have the talent of. Of Troy Dye. I mean, I think, you know, Isaac Slade is as talented as him. I think Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, you'd have to say, are, you know, from a physical standpoint, more talented than him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're both guys who could go first round at linebacker. And despite all the things that Troy Dye in, did in his career at Oregon and the fact that he was one of the most impactful players probably to ever play at Oregon in terms of our culture and our program trajectory, he wasn't able to become a, a top NFL pick. It, you know, it right, just wasn't right. going to happen. Right. So another name you're going to see at that inside linebacker spot, Samson New. New. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, guy who's been here a while. He's a senior now. He, he knows the system. He's familiar with everybody. We're going to see him getting snaps, and we're going to see him making plays. It's really just a matter of how much at this rate. (laughs) Yeah, I think he's a guy who... I think Isaac Slade has his spot locked down. Yeah. I think New is a guy who's a really solid option that we have, but he could fall fall out of the starting ranks if a flow or a Sewell really pops immediately mm-hmm. as they step on campus. I just think it's going to be hard to hold either of those guys back if they really look the part immediately. Yeah. And those minutes are probably going to end up coming from new more than they will from Isaac Slade. Right. Um, another thing just at these positions like linebacker mostly um, where we have just stellar young players coming in um, that are untested in the system. But in this kind of time of, you know, COVID and all that and everything being canceled, no one really getting to be in the same facility as as everyone else. People don't know where other people are at for the most part. And it's right now that I think uh, a lot of these players have a big chance to step up and, you know, put in the work, um, you know, I'm sure everyone on, in a Ducks uniform is is working hard right now. But who wants it most? Who wants uh, to show up on campus looking the part? Just that much more ex- that that extra bit. Um, 
and this is definitely also a time where you know players can slack off. They have some time at home. They can use that time to lift weights and sprints, uh, run sprints, or they can play Madden. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting just across the Pac-12 and you know across uh, across the nation this year uh, to see if there are any players who take steps back and which ones take their big step forward. Yeah, I think in these times of like adversity and uncertainty, the stuff that prevails is culture, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and the teams with the best culture are the ones that are going to come out of this whole crazy time with COVID looking the best, being the most in tune. And the teams that don't have that type of culture are going to be the ones with the guys who were just sitting around playing Madden. And I know that's, I mean, basically the way that I've heard Mario Cristobal put it verbatim. Right. right. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, you don't see the Ohio States and Clemsons and Alabamas of the college football world. Like, you, you fully expect those type of programs to be the ones on the forefront of, oh, hey, we're like, okay, there's a pandemic. Are we going to stop working ever? No. Like, that th- thought doesn't even cross their minds because the attitude is we're going to work as hard as we can and do as much as we can to prepare ourselves to win. And and they have the competition there too. And that's what we have in guys like Justin Flo and Noah Sewell. You know, if Samson knew, I mean, I don't know Samson personally or anything. <laughs> I'm not, but I'm just saying, you know, if he didn't have two five stars pushing him, then maybe your mentality is a little more, oh, I don't have to try that hard to get my playing time or my starting spot if it's just you know, some low three stars or something coming in. Well, yeah, I think the mentality uh, definitely changes. But, yeah, I like what you said about culture there. Fade the Washington win total this year. Yeah. <laughs> but also, um, yeah, I did hear, I mean, guys are on campus now uh, doing um, voluntary workouts, yeah. at least. And yeah. I, I heard uh, the rumor going around was that uh, Flo and Sewell were pushing some of the older guys. See, that's fun. That is something you loved, absolutely just loved. Yeah, they were like, I came here to win a... To win a shit. ...effing championship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, I, exactly. I love to hear that. And I mean, even so, with those guys, even without those guys, we still have guys like Drew Mathis, MJ Cunningham, Samson New, who have had basically starting experience, like a lot of in-game experience, and done very well with it. Also, shout out MJ Cunningham with the Madison High School. Right. Oregon. Yeah, and not to discount any of those other guys we have who weren't five stars. I mean, this program wasn't built on five stars. No. Obviously, as Ducks fans, we know and have been making the argument for a long time that players who aren't five stars can be very productive in college and compete. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, with more competition comes better culture. And that's how you start to you know, win games and compete for titles. Right. Obviously, the Ducks do have an awesome history of player development where we get get mm-hmm. some get some players who are maybe, you know, lower three stars and turn them into, you know, uh, nationally recognizable players. And it's just hopeful to, you know, we, we trust that uh, Oregon will have that player development. It is just uh, exciting to see when we have players of that five-star quality you know what can we do with these kind of guys then if we could do this much with those um 
you know, less hyped guys. Yeah, and there's there's just a reason you want higher rated guys. And you can look at Kayvon Thibodeau <laughs> and Mikhail Wright last year and just say other players can't do the things that they do on the field mm-hmm. right as true freshmen. And so, well, you know, your culture can bring along all types of players. There's, you know, something that comes with the high rated guys and something they bring that, you know, not everyone has. And that's why people recognize them as special talents. Okay. Um, on to the secondary. Well, to, well, do a little outside linebacker. All right, yeah. all right. Um, Adrian Jackson is yes. uh, the, the sophomore here, former four star uh, from Mullen and Denver. Yeah, top player out of Colorado, I think, when he was a high schooler. Yep, about 6'2", looking at like 230. This is a guy who I feel like a lot of fans might not know his name, but they very well could yeah. pretty early in the season. Yeah, I think last year was, was supposed to be his year before he got injured. I think that he's going to be a starter. I think, I mean, he was one of the guys um, who in his class, he was in the same class as Javon Holland, and I thought that they were two players who I was really excited about and thought could produce early on in their careers. Holland's gotten that opportunity and absolutely capitalized on it at every turn. I think that uh, Adrian Jackson's the next guy set up to do that, and I expect him to capitalize on the opportunity he does have this year. For a little more context on Jackson, because not everyone might, everyone might not know the story, he was slated to get some playing time last year and unfortunately suffered a season-ending injury like a few days before the season opener I'm pretty sure it was like very close yeah so here's to hoping he gets time on the field in a healthy manner and can produce for us yeah and then uh just a few other names quickly uh, you said Mathis I think is a guy we should all know as a Juco player who's capable of contributing. I think an X-Factor kind of guy, another guy not many people know about is Andrew Johnson. He's been around the program for a while, but he hasn't really made that much noise. But, um, I mean, he's a guy, if you watch, you know, workout videos with Feld or whatever, little snippets we find on Twitter, he's a guy who looks the part at the linebacking position. And so I wonder if this will maybe be a year where he gets some playing time and we start to see him uh, produce. Him and I basically want to say the same thing about um, Andrew Fowlu, yeah. uh, brother of Austin. Um, big guy, 6'3", 265. He got more meaningful uh, playing time than um, Jackson last year, who mainly did like kickoffs and stuff like that. Yeah. But another guy who will definitely be in that rotation at outside linebacker. And hopefully we'll see him make some plays. Yeah, definitely. All right, secondary time. Secondary Let's time. Let's do it. Uh, okay, Javon Holland. Do we really need to say any more about the nickel position? Um, Javon Holland is probably the player who's benefited the most from like the offseason hype buildup that you see every year. Yeah, I mean, the only question is, is he better than Stingley for the best player in the secondary in the country? That's basically the only other person you can compare him to. 
Yeah, I think he was second last year to Stingley, uh, according to PFF. So yeah. he's legit. I remember at the end of uh, 2018, he had been playing all year as a true freshman. And Jerry Allen interviewed him on the radio right before the Oregon State game. And I was just blown away uh, by his character, the way he carried himself as a true freshman going on that kind of interview. I mean, it seemed like he was a senior already. The guy knew the defense so well. He was saying all the right things in the interview. And probably maybe my nomination for funniest player on the roster. Yeah. If you follow him on social media. I love Javon Holland. I just love him. Yeah, he's... Um, but yeah, he's a guy who just screams superstar, I would say. In, in the way he carries himself. I, I mean, I think he's an all-pro guy at the next level. And, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's the personality. It's his football knowledge. It's his athletic gifts. And he's been that type of character, um, I mean, like since he was a recruit. Uh, you know, he was one of the guys who really rallied his class together. And then, I mean, it was like, in practice reports leading up to his freshman year, it was like every other day, Rob Mosley was saying that he had gotten another interception. And it was like, Jesus, do we have like the second coming of the honey badger yeah. on the roster? This guy's insane. And I guess he basically lived up to the hype. So, I got some trivia for you regarding Holland. So Javon Holland was the first Oregon player to lead the team in interceptions in two consecutive years. Since 2006 and 2007, who led the Ducks in interceptions in 2006 and 2007? And here's a hint. He did have an NFL career. He still might be. Uh, is it uh, Chung? No. I'll give you a guess, too, and then I'll just say it. I'm not going to get this. Okay, okay. <laughs> Do you just want me to say it? I want you to say it. It's Jairus Bird. Oh. Okay. All right. I love Jairus Bird, man. He was Got one of my to. favorites. Got to. But yeah, Holland, nine interceptions in the last two years, third most in the FBS over that span. And uh, Oregon is 7-1 and one in games where he has an interception. So, And, oh, by the way, it's one of the best punt returners in the country. Like, yeah. <laughs> we just seem so to overlook good. that a lot. He's so good. Um, but, so yeah, he's the starter, obviously, at nickel. Who do you see coming up behind him, getting, maybe getting some playing time in the rotation? I think uh, Jamal Hill is the guy I'm looking at mo- most for that backup nickel role. Uh, you know, because I love Holland so much as a player, I hope that we don't see Hill play very much <laughs> this year. Yeah. Uh, but I think that H- Jamal Hill is very capable. Uh, yeah, I, I believe in him if he needs to take over there. And um, I'm not that worried. I think he's a capable Pac-12 player. He's not... He's not Javon Holland, at least not yet. Uh, Thank you for saying that. I was going to say that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, Corner or safety first? Let's do corner. I've been salivating, waiting to talk about corner. Okay, go ahead. Uh, This is, I feel very confident in saying this is the best corner, cornerback room Oregon has ever had. Um, Obviously, Thomas Graham, Lenore on the other side. And then you have guys like Mikhail Wright, who, like, 
<laughs> who a lot of people think is our most talented corner. Exactly, yeah. and he was a freshman last year. Like, yeah, the amount of de- quick development that's happening at Oregon is insane, especially on defense. And talk about guys in the secondary who can contribute in the special teams return game. Yeah, I mean, Mikael Wright yeah. is chief among them. Yeah. I mean, there's just nothing really bad to say about the the trio of those three guys, mm-hmm. all starting caliber. Um, we've seen them make plays at the highest level all, last year. Yeah, I think all of those guys are all conference caliber players. Yeah, I mean, they're, I yeah, they're all really really talented corners. Graham was uh, second team, Pac-12 second team last year, basically. Um, Mikhail Wright. Freshman All-American last year, and Lenore is Diamador Lenore. Like, yeah, he's a god. So we're we're doing <laughs> just fine on, <laughs> at corner. Yeah, um, and we didn't even talk about Dante Manning yet. Right, who who's a five star. <laughs> yeah, five. That's a lot. Count them. Count them. You have to use your whole hand. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you have six fingers. Sorry, sorry to those with six fingers. One like more. Two. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay, but the thing I want to say about Dante Manning is when you think of a cornerback, you think of short, very quick, good speed, can track somebody. Athletic. Athletic, hands, high point the ball if they need to. Hands. Yeah, ideally. Yeah. Manning is built more like a wide receiver. Yeah. He's 6'2". I, I mean, yeah, Dante Manning is like athletically... He's probably the most talented person we have in our secondary, I would say. I just think I like his upside at corner is probably even higher than Holland. Which wow. is a lot. To it's say. high praise. High praise, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean he was that's what people uh in the recruiting industry really sat out of high school was like he doesn't have um he hasn't put it all together. I mean, he was still a five-star, but hasn't put it all together maybe in terms of like... That's um, scary. Then. Yeah, football yeah. experience and knowledge and just like ability to, you know, play corner uh, very well. But his upside athletically is like second to none, really. So, I mean, it's the type of guy who you'd... Uh, you know, in past seasons at Oregon, you just say, "Oh well, he's a starter, right?" Mm-hmm. You, we have to be talking about a starter, <laughs> but he's but he's not. He's the you know fourth uh, best corner, maybe even fifth if you want to throw DJ James in there uh, on the roster, which just speaks to how deep you, as you were saying, this cornerback room is. And on DJ James, I just. Um, want to mention him and say I think that he's a guy who's also like a capable starter I think that Mm -hmm. he could start in the Pac-12 I don't think he is an all-conference guy maybe but he didn't take a redshirt as a freshman um you know we played him enough to think he was valuable so he's a guy who if need be can step up in the moments and that's what he did uh I mean we had to play him and Wright a bit extra in the UW game. Mm-hmm. And they, um, it wasn't, you know, perfect showing, but in the end they got it done. Yeah. And I mean, DJ Dane, James, you're talking about a guy who, similar to what we were saying at linebacker, 
He has 85 snaps last year on defense. That's valuable experience. Even if you weren't making all the plays you needed to make, at least you know what you're going up against out there. You're not like, you're not tail between your legs when you go out on the field, because that does happen, especially with young guys. Like DJ James is a guy who, at least at the very absolute least, when he's stepping on the field, you know he has experience. And that goes a long way in college. Yeah, definitely. Anyone else you want to mention at corner, or is it safety time? Uh, I think it's safety time. Okay. The big question at safety, we know about the trio of Brady Breeze, Verone McKinley, and Nick Pickett. Mm-hmm. Who's the best out of those three all around, in your opinion? Oh, this is a hard question. I don't know. I, I honestly... I guess I would say... Gun to my head <laughs> for next season, I would say it's Brady Breeze. Okay. I, I, think... I would say Breeze too, but that's because I'm biased. Because yeah. I went to high school with him. Right. Um, Go Rams. Yeah. Okay. okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're keeping that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think, I mean, what he showed at the end of last year, just playmaking was really impressive. Um, he's a guy who he was a four star out of high school. He's got the talent. Uh, I I mean I also just love. I don't think there's anyone on the team who loves the Ducks and like has the green and yellow in their blood as mm-hmm. much as Brady Breeze. Um, yeah. in terms of being an Oregon kid, so I love uh love seeing that and always root for success from him because of that. I think Nick Pickett is a guy who is kind of low-rated coming out of high school and has just, like, worked incredibly hard Mm -hmm. to gain a spot on the team um, or gain playing time. I mean, he had his spot, but... um, And has done it since early in his career. Uh, It was was Avalos in another one of those uh, happy hours with Mosley a few days ago who was talking about... just going to mention Yeah, yeah. It was Pickett on the sideline when Brady Breeze had that big forced fumble at the end of the Rose Bowl. Pickett was diagnosing it, called that it was going to be a fly sweep to that side. And you can see the replay. It's, like, so fun to watch him just, like, jump mm-hmm. up and down. He's so happy. <laughs> and it's so cool to see, you know, in one of those heated position rooms where you have three guys who are starting caliber, uh, to- absolutely starting caliber, and there's only two spots, you could see it kind of get heated and a guy who's not in at a key possession checks out or you know is over on the bench kind of like sulking or whatever it's easy to have a bad attitude after that yeah and so i was just so impressed he was in the game and you know played a part in one of if not the biggest moment of the game yeah so that was awesome to see uh and then mckinley is a great coverage guy i think he's a really smart cerebral uh, player, he's super close with Javon Holland, uh, which is uh, extra points in my book. Yeah, if you're in the second, like yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I like McKinley a lot. I think uh, there's kind of a misconception that towards the end of the year, what happened was Verone McKinley faded off and Brady Breeze really excelled. More what happened in my mind was um, we just started playing different teams that yeah. required different personnel groups. 
and uh, McKinley was more of a coverage safety, and uh, Brady Breeze and Nick Pickett were more run support guys. And it was really, um, it was really Pickett who, again, just worked his tail off to say, I can play both positions. I yeah. can cover whatever role you need me to. I'll be on the field and, you know, I'll sacrifice uh, or put in the extra work necessary to make the team complete. And so I think it was just a personnel situation why McKinley faded out, not any uh, real issue with his play, except that, you know, he had some, uh, I guess the run support wasn't his strong suit. Mm -hmm. But I think that's something that he's working on over the offseason so that he can stay in those yeah, games. Yeah, and that's... that's the area that you tend to see lacking more in freshmen, mm -hmm. um, especially at safety. Like, mm -hmm. you're just not... It's it's a big jump from tackling high schoolers to tackling college kids. Right. But McKinley, I mean, once again, I feel like a broken record, but this is someone who's not... I mean, I guess you could consider him a starter. He gets about as many minutes of snaps as a starter. Yeah. But... He's a guy who is listed behind other guys on the depth chart. And still, we're talking about a freshman All-American last year, someone who had four picks in four games in the middle of the season last year, yeah, and a Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week under his belt in Week 7. Like, that's, that's, a very, that's a resume that you would expect to see from a starter on a good team. Yeah, starter and probably an upperclassman. Yeah, and we're talking about a backup. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then also, um, it's, it, you know, it's not just a three-person room really at safety anymore. Mm -hmm. um, we have Steve Stevens, who's a guy who's actually in the same class as Javon Holland. Um, Stevens took a redshirt year, uh, but he was more highly rated than Javon Holland coming out of high Ooh. school. And, I mean, because Javon Holland is Javon Holland, and, I mean, we all know what that means in terms of what a special player he is. Mm -hmm. Steve Stevens had to take a back seat and hasn't uh, gotten the opportunities in playing time. Um, he said, I caught in an interview, he said, he's been number 10 for a while. I think Justin Flo asked for that one from him. Mm -hmm. And he's given it up to Flo. And so <laughs> it's a new chapter of Steve Stevens. I think he's number seven. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, because DJ James was number seven on that D line, but now he's 89 as a tight end. Go right. figure. So yeah, and hey, Stevens was—he was joking about the fact that last year he was 10. So obviously there were a lot of number 10 jerseys being sold in the Stevens yeah, store yeah. last year, and now he's seven, and there's probably going to be a lot of seven, seven jerseys for Verdell this year. So, you know, everyone can get a Steve Stevens jersey since there's no name on the back. Yeah. Um, and then another guy you have to mention is Bennett Williams, the transfer from Syracuse. Um, or from Illinois, I mean, sorry. Yeah, he was a college yeah, yeah, San Mateo yeah, yeah. and then... Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shout out San Mateo. Yeah, the color scheme had me stripped up there for a second. <laughs> um, but uh, he is... Uh, super talented. If you look at his um, film while he's at Illinois, he does some really impressive stuff. He's a big playmaker. I think he was a freshman All-American um, at Illinois as well. And he's capable of playing, more than capable of playing. 
I'll be interested to see what we do with him, though. Maybe he's a guy um, who we save a little more for, um, you know, after we have those seniors of Breeze and Pickett mm-hmm. uh, out of their rotation. But, yeah, I'll be interested to see what playing time he gets. But I think he also is just a great indicator of the future at safety is strong. Once Pickett and Breeze are gone after this season, I have uh, no qualms about Bennett Williams, Verone McKinley, and Steve Stevens being a three-man rotation that can hold their own yeah. in the Pac-12 and beyond. Yeah, and uh, I misspoke earlier. He was at Illinois in 2018, and then he was at College of San Mateo in 18-19. Yeah, doing his sitting out, I guess, his year from NCAA eligibility. Exactly. Yeah. So he does. He is still a junior right now. He yeah. does have a year after. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, do we want to touch on special teams? Yeah, we can breeze quickly. through special teams real quick. Yeah. There is actually one position battle in special teams I want to touch on, but um, we'll get the easy ones out of the way. Uh, right and Holland kick and punt returners. Yeah, um, I, at the other spot, spot at kick return, I'll be interested to see. I like Daywood Davis there. Uh, I could see maybe a Josh Delgado. Yeah, uh, Davis is a guy there. I forgot to mention we were talking about slots, but he can definitely be making some catches on offense too. Yeah, yeah. So I think, but yeah, obviously, Holland and Wright are your feature guys there, and they are top level at yeah. what they do in both those things. Uh, shout out Carson Battles, long snapper. Um, a good one. It's one of those positions at long snapper where if you're doing your job, nobody knows your name. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a good thing that nobody we knows know him. his name because you know we follow the Ducks religiously. But I won't be surprised if any of the you know casual fans don't know his name, and that's probably a good thing. <laughs> um, Punter, we had Blake Mamone last year did a great job for the most yeah. part. Uh, Tom Snee seems to be the guy this year. Yeah. And he'll probably be doing, he'll probably be taking over the holder spot too. Mm-hmm. Uh, underrated position. That's probably my, like, I don't know. It's it's probably the least talked about position in all of football. But I love a good holder, yeah. man. That's such a tough job. Shout out <laughs> Nate Costa in the desert. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was an impressive one from Costa, definitely. Basically, exactly. Um, another, another position where you don't want yeah. to know the holders, right? <laughs> um, unless you're in Chip Kelly's offense and you're going for two and you get some. Yeah, that's pretty fun. Throws, yeah. Uh, uh, okay, but kicker. So yeah. We had Cam Lewis last year. We know the story there. Inconsistent at best. Um, Henry Cadelman is the other name you've been hearing as a kicker. I don't. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really know how to evaluate kickers without just seeing them in games. Yeah. So. Fair enough. I don't know what to say about it. I heard PFT commenter still has four years of eligibility. Oh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, (laughs) but so I, I guess what I'm saying is that could be a name you see instead of Cam Lewis is Henry Cadillac. Yeah. Yeah, it's for it's for tough. me. For me, I know Cam Lewis had his his ups and his downs last year. Let's say, but 
when you look at who you have kicking in probably high some high pressure situations, I would say even though he might have had his ups and downs, you want someone with the game experience. You want someone who's played in those games and had to face those kicks and you know. Yeah, I, and I mean, I, hey, I would say that's an advantage. A lot of people were calling for. Lewis to just not even I mean some very harsh people were saying like oh get him off the team and stuff like this props to him for coming back through the season hit the game winning field goal against Wazoo like that's huge mentally and I mean I I've had a class with Lewis he's a great guy great attitude that's just what you want from every position yeah. really and yeah. most importantly kicker yeah. but it's t- it's tough because Top tier programs don't carry multiple scholarship players at kicker. Yeah. So when you bring one in, you expect them to be the guy. Yeah. And so it's it's just a top position. I hope that he turns it around this year, and I think that's all we can really do. Or or maybe yeah, like you said, maybe Kaleman comes out. It's also one of those things where I think the game situation is like so different than practice for kickers. Oh, yeah. You know, you hear about, like, all these kickers. The guys hitting 60-yarders in practice. Yeah, exactly. They come in and miss a 37-yard chip shot and it's like, yeah, well, maybe I'll focus on 37-yard ones before you (laughs) hit 60-yarders, but, yeah. I had a youth coach who, uh, he would make us run, like, five or ten laps around the field or whatever, and then our kicker had to kick a field goal from, it was like a pretty simple one because it was yeah, just yeah. football. But like, right. if That's he missed point. it, we would have to go again. Uh, <laughs> we would keep going until we made it. Uh, so, I mean, it's a quick way to turn the team on the kicker, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah. He was also our quarterback, so it wasn't uh, that bad. Fair but, enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that uh, we covered literally every single position on the field today. Yeah. Yeah, I think we did our job well. Uh, hopefully this provided some insight for you guys. Um, and hopefully we have a season. So yeah, a we're season. not just talking for no reason. Oh, last thing I wanted to mention, I meant to say this earlier. Uh, we mentioned a lot of names on on this segment, I guess. But there are so many more that we don't even know. Like, there are so many guys that are a part of this program in the scout teams right. who have a huge impact, massive impact on what happens on the field every game. Special shout out to three guys in particular, Jack Vecchi, Corbin Williams, Vincenzo Logan, all wideouts, great guys, uh, all went to Central, and yeah. Right on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we love the Ducks. We want them to win the games on the field, so we pay attention to, you know, some of the starters. But any player who, you know, wears an Oregon uniform, I'm rooting for and owe a great deal of gratitude for making yeah. Every Saturday, a lot more fun for me. It's complete buy-in, total yeah. buy-in. Gotta yeah. be yep. everybody's in. So top of the program to the bottom, just like you listen to us from the top of the program to the bottom. So thank you for sticking through this. Um, yeah. So yeah, leave some more suggestions for stuff to do uh, or talk about in the comments. Um, and yeah, see you next time. Go Ducks! Go, Go Ducks! ducks.